Hey, well, what's fun about online is that when things are recorded, they're not always as close together as you think. Justin just talked about Christine possibly having her baby. By the time I'm recording this, she's had the baby. The baby is here. We're excited. He's, uh, he's healthy. Everything's looking great. We are pumped for her family and this new little image of God that's coming to the world. And so as you're praying for them, just know, yes, Christine's baby is here. Mm, super excited about that. And uh, it's important that we celebrate those kinds of things because we've been talking about all of us being made in the image of God. We've been talking about knowing you in this series. Thank you for joining us and sticking it out. I hope that your studies and the, uh, the work that you've been doing has been helpful in just understanding who you are. And, and it's important that we do this. It's important that we've gone over these things because of what we're going to talk about today. You see, I grew up in the 80s. And uh, when I, growing up in the 80s here in Southern California, the big deal that we always were focused on was the big one. If you grew up here, you know what I'm talking about. The big one was this mega super earthquake that was going to hit the Southern California area and rip off half of California and send it into the ocean or giant fissures through LA and the big one, a 10.0, a 9, whatever it was, just gigantic earthquake was always something that we feared and were looking towards as kids. And here's what's funny about that. It never hit. But we did have Northridge, we did have the earthquake up in, in Big Bear area, and that was enough that people began to say, hey, we've got to work better on our foundations with our freeways and our high-rises because buildings were falling and things were breaking. And so the engineering grew here in Southern California to where, honestly, our foundations were taken more seriously. And I wanted to walk you through these first four weeks as we looked at God and looked at His image so that you could have strong foundations in order to be ready for the big one. And I want to let you know this week is going to call you to the big one. You see, what we're talking about in this series is to know yourself is to help yourself grow spiritually. We've been talking about in this series is to know yourself, to develop spiritually. We need to know ourselves rightly. And this is the critical piece that we need to have, that we grasp our foundations, that you're made in the image of God. It's outside of you, not inside of you, that your capacities, that your character, that even your nature is set by being a derivative from God. You are made in his image. You represent him. And so even your body, we need to honor as the image of God. And we talk about that. Your communities are created, the natural, the spiritual, even the built ones are a part of being the image of God and the roles that you have and your responsibilities all tell a little bit about who you are. And finally, there's the value that we have in the image of God, that it comes from God. It's not based on our performance or acceptance or the guilt and perfection or being something different or shame. No, it comes because he gave his life for ours. Now, all of these are the foundations so that we can do what we are looking at doing today. Because we've been talking in the scripture in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and perfect. Now, notice there's a couple of weird things going on here. As he goes on to say, you need to think with sober judgment about yourself, know yourself so you can grow spiritually. There's a background. Well, what's the background? that we've been conformed, that we need to be transformed. Something needs to change and that we don't know the will of God. And this is because when you, when you really engage, something is up, something is odd, something isn't working right, that all this wonder of who we are in the good isn't showing up in our lives so easily. 
And that is because when we look inside, we find something, well, hard. The big one, right? A three-letter word. Jesus describes it like this. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. I love there's 12 of them there. I wonder if he was like pointing at different disciples and they're like, what? No, I'm just joking. But you get the idea that comes out of the heart are these wicked things. It's sin. All these evil things come out. And when we think about that, then, when you look inside, you don't find your value. When you look inside, you don't find who you are. You find sin. And that's the big one. You see, when we look inside, we need to be founded in everything God has called us to be, everything God has told us we are, so we can truly look at our sin. Because, hey, I'm going to tell you this, to develop spiritually, to get this right, we need to know our sin rightly. To develop spiritually, you need to understand your sin, your bend, your brokenness. In order to grow in Christ, in order to really develop, guys, we cannot ignore the mess inside. We need to be looking at it. And you know what? Here's the thing. You need to face it. To know your sin rightly, you got to get some courage screwed up inside of you, and you need to face the sin. And I mean it. This is not easy. It's like being a kid thinking about the big one. It's like being a kid waiting for that giant earthquake to happen. You feel anxious and you don't want to look at the evidence. You don't want to look at what you could do. You don't want to look at these things. You don't want to stare inside yourself and discover really what's there. We want to whitewash it. We want to make ourselves feel better. We want to ignore it. But we need to face sin or we're going to sin. That's the bottom line. It just causes us to do this. In fact, that's early on. And when we're looking in these Genesis passages, we realize that man was made in these beautiful ways in the image of God, and then we fell when we tried to do it our own way. And it shows up in another generation in Cain and Abel. Now, Cain was Adam and Eve's son, and he was jealous of his brother, his little brother, who brought an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but didn't accept Cain's. And so Cain gets all bent out of shape about it, all ticked off, and God comes and warns him. These are God's words. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And notice this, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's like this animal waiting to pounce on you, to destroy you, to tear you up. When we ignore sin, when we won't face our sin, as Cain wasn't willing to face our sin, we will sin. It'll just take us over. And we'll end up doing the very things we never thought we would do. Now, you're not going to go murder somebody right off the bat, but you're not going to examine the anger. You're going to examine the wrath, the bitterness. And when the opportunity comes, you don't know what may happen. Not every, We don't become moral, horrible humans overnight. No, it takes slow, subtle drips of not looking at our sin, of ignoring it, though we are warned about it. I mean, this is an addict, right? The addict didn't start that way. They didn't start as an addict. They started thinking, I'm good. It's no big deal. A little, a little drinking, a couple, you know, a little snorts, you know, t- taking a couple puffs until now they don't even want to let it go. Some of them don't even see it as a problem. And yet we all know 
Look at the people around us. They're dying from this, these addictions. It starts with anger and it moves to verbal abuse until you just lose control and suddenly you find yourself punching or hurting someone at your work or in your home. We have to stare at the sin and face it head on right now or we will continue in sin and it will grow. We need to face our sin because it also harms us. It harms us in many ways. First of all, um, we can minimize our sin thinking it's no big deal and not realize it creeps up on us and destroys us and harms even our bodies. David ignored his lust which led him to sleeping with a woman that he saw, which led him to realizing she's pregnant and killing off her husband, marrying her to look like the hero. And he was hiding his sin, justifying it the entire time, the man after God's own heart. Well, once he was finally confronted by Nathan and he finally repents, he ends up penning Psalms based on this event in his life, Psalm 32 is one of those psalms, and he talks about when he was keeping quiet about his sin. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all, through my groaning all day long. There was a sense of sickness in his soul. Any of you who are um, living through anxiety, where you're pushing yourself and you're constantly, everything's got to be perfect, you know that your body is deteriorating. Any of us who are living in gluttony and we're feeling the diabetes and these things, we know that it, it can be partially because of these things. Any of us that are living in a sense of fear, in a sense of constant panic, in a go, go, go environment, guys, it destroys us, let alone our lusts, let alone all these other simple things. Guys, our demandingness destroys relationships, destroys our souls, destroys our bodies. He says, for a day and night, your hand, God's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up in the heat of the summer. And he tells you, just think about that. Selah, just meditate on it for a minute. What I want to point out here is that this means that when we sin and we're not looking at it and we're not exposing it, we're not confessing it, it destroys our bodies. It destroys our lives. No wonder we look around and we know people who won't confess their sins and their bodies are expressing the mess in depression, expressing the mess in, in bodily diseases. It's expressing the mess in anger and sadness and sickness, my friends. We've got to face our sin. We can't keep ignoring it or accepting it or whitewashing it. We've got to understand it because when we face our sin, it not just only harms our bodies, it harms our spiritual walk. It harms our relationship with God. Now, right here, I have to tell you, if you're not a Christian, and you're watching this, first of all, we're glad you are, and we're thankful, and this is not a condemnatory thing. This is all of us working together. But as a non-Christian, I'll tell you what, it is our sin that we're not facing and looking at that actually disables us from knowing God. I have a, a long-term friend. In fact, his mom brought him to, my, to the hospital when I was born. I've known him that long, right, my entire life. And I love this guy. And we went separate directions. He became the atheist. I became the pastor. He's moved more into the agnostic camp. And last time we really hung out, I asked him, I said, what is it that holds you back from really understanding and receiving that God exists and Jesus Christ has borne your sins on the cross? Because I've answered his objections. We've worked through these things. And he looked at me and said these powerful words. He said, Greg, you know, the real thing is that I just haven't experienced God. I just haven't had an experience of this God that you're talking about. So how would I know he exists? And it was so saddening to me because I was like, well, the only way you can ever have that experience of that God is by understanding your sin and this, this 
brokenness in us is the very thing that keeps us from that experience. It's what we, once we confess that sin and we realize that sin, that, we, that that good experience of God begins to happen. Now, Christians, we can go through dry spells too because when we sin, God distances himself. He doesn't break our relationship. We're always sons and daughters of God. But what he will do is the fellowship, our closeness to God reduces, and you may feel dry. And you may feel like your spiritual walk isn't vibrant. And you may even feel like there's a sense that you have a lack of self-control. And it may be that in the midst of all this stuff with, with your sin, you're losing ground with God. You find the Bible boring, prayer doesn't work, so you blah, blah, all that. And so what we want to do is we want to face our sin. Gird up our loins. Come on. Get ready and look at the sin that's holding us back from relating with God. Because we have the Spirit of God. But without the Spirit of God, when we don't have the Spirit of God, and that is the case again for those of you, uh, my friends, who, who are watching and, and you may not have yet professed Christ, the Spirit of God comes to show you sin. You see, notice this verse. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's talking about what the Spirit of God will do when he comes. He says, when the Spirit of God comes, he's going to convict the world. That is, everyone outside of the, the knowledge of, of Christ, he's going to convict them of concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and what's fascinating is I've talked to people, and they think that experience of God they're looking for is this sudden flooding of joy and overwhelming excitement, and wow, I can't believe how beautiful and amazing God is. And to be honest, they're finding those kinds of experiences maybe you have in Hinduism or Buddhism. Or, or some kind of other form of religion. And there can be a transcendent feeling, but if your first experience with the transcendence is this feeling of joy and elation and I'm all perfect and everything's right in the world, I'm going to warn you, you're not experiencing the God who made the universe. You see, what it seems to say is when the Spirit, which is the presence of God, His very existence coming into your life, what you first will experience is a sudden exposure of yourself. Every single time someone first encounters God in the Bible, it exposes them and they suddenly realize their sin. They realize how dead they are. They realize how messed up they are. And the first words typically from any divine being that is holy, they, they, whether it's an angel or God himself, it is don't fear. So fear is this experience. Exposure is this experience. And I want to encourage you, if you want to experience God, your first encounter with God will be an exposure of your sin. And if you want to begin to seek the living God who made this world, the only route forward is to press into the fear and the dread and the awfulness of the brokenness of our souls as the Spirit of God comes and meets you. And what He does then He shows you, I don't hate you for your sin. I don't want to destroy you for your sin. I want to forgive you for your sin. But if we're going to ignore it and push it away and look for some happy, good feeling all the time, we will die in our sin, and that dread will come and never leave. Now, I want you to know Christ. And so I want to encourage you, even as a non-Christian, to take me up on this challenge to step in and see and be, allow God to expose your sin and to show you that because as Christians, we receive the Spirit and we have the sense of God's presence. In fact, it comes out as a bit of a fight. Paul talking about it in this way uh, said in Romans 7, I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is, lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God. I love his, rule, his law of love and tell me, but in my inner being, 
Uh, I see my members in another law, and they're waging war against my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There's this fight going on. And Christians, you know what I'm talking about. It's when the Spirit of God's telling you, don't press the enter on that email. Don't send that text. No, no, don't send that tweet. Don't forward that message online. Stop. Don't, don't speed up and stare at that dude in the car. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't ignore your parents and yell at them. Wait, hold on. Right? Oh man, he speaks so loudly and I ignore so well. It's so frustrating. Isn't it? And that's, that's just our thing, right? But that's what we need to be able to face. We need to look at it in the eye so that we face our sin because the Spirit of God wants to reveal our sin. Now, there are lots of other reasons we won't want to face it. Maybe you, you feel like it's not your fault. You're the victim. You didn't mean to sin. It just happened. Look, even if you've been victimized and you've been harmed, you always have your choices. You do not have to live from your victimhood. You are not a computer machine that doesn't have a choice. God granted you the choice, and we choose our sin. And we have to accept that and acknowledge that. We, and, and the bottom line is sometimes we ignore this because we like it. Man, if I looked at that sin, I'd have to give up that porn. I'd have to give up that eating and those foods I love. I'd have to give up that relationship I'm, I'm hanging with. And yeah, it's not sexual, but she's super hot and cool. You'd have to give up on all of these things, uh, of venting your anger and feeling like you're justified. You have to give up on your power. Oh, yeah. The deep, dirty secret is we like our sin. It has pleasure with it. But it's only for a time, isn't it? And inevitably, in the end, we all really, by the Spirit of God, feel guilty about it. We understand that we've, we've grieved God, and it hurts. I know we, we can even feel like we got it all figured out. I, my youth pastor said he had a professor once who uh, said he hadn't sinned in 30 years. And I'm going like, what? I didn't think he had the right definition of sin, honestly, because he thought he had it all figured out. He had all those sins dealt with, boom, locked in place. He was never leaving the presence of God. Aha. And I just don't think that we'll ever get to sinlessness because of the war that we're in. But I do think we can strive and grow. But maybe we're not looking because we've settled that, hey, I've dealt with the basics. I'm good. You know, or maybe... We just don't know their sins because they're fashionable. You know, it's fashionable to purchase things and be discontent. It's fashionable to, to have all kinds of uh, sensuality and gluttony and lying. And, you know, we'll get to those in a minute later. They're called respectable sins. But look, our sin wants to hide other sins. And maybe we're just only willing to look at the surface sins. All these things are there, but we need to gear up strengthen up, get ready, and look at our sin. We need to examine it. If you and I want to grow spiritually, want to develop spiritually, then we got to know our sin rightly. Remember, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Know your sin. Understand it so you can know the will of God, and we can begin to engage it. But the bottom line is, in order to do that, we, we, we need to do it because we got to be prepared for a fight. This isn't just to do it to do it. This is so that you and I can grow. we got to know so we can grow. we got to know so we can fight. In, a, in the show, Band of Brothers, I think it's the third episode, um, one of these just shows that I've absolutely enjoyed. And I can't recommend it because it's got stuff in it, and, and, but you know, you know where you stand with the Lord on that. But what I do want to let you know is that in this episode, they're dealing with a sniper. In any war movie that deals with snipers, it's the same thing. The sniper takes out a member of the team 
injures them or kills them or something and suddenly everybody panics and spreads and they yell sniper now they're jumping behind bushes and hiding behind rocks people are yelling and looking pulling up you know their binoculars trying to look at the examining the buildings and the surrounding areas where is this sniper coming from because when they can't see the sniper they can't engage the battle that sniper has to be seen first, and then they can hit cover fire. Then they can send people in. But you got to see what's attacking you before you can engage it. That is the truth of sin. If we're not going to look at our sin, man, it's like a sniper in the distance. It's like a creature ready to pounce on you. You have no clue what's going on. And so I'm telling you, we have got to be ready by seeing our sin because you are in a battle. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you now to open it. So, because I want you to see this, I want you to be able to write it down, know where it's at. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul takes on one of the greatest sections of spiritual warfare battle that you can find. If you've got it there, again, Ephesians chapter 6, it's the last section of the book. He's just written a, a beautiful letter to his church in Ephesus. God has just placed these words because God is speaking through him to this church. And he's telling him, look, you have all this spiritual warfare going on. Here's how you fight. Verse 12 begins, first of all, no, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual powers, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so this is not a fight against governments. This is not a fight against bosses. This is not a fight against parents. This is not a fight against those authorities. This is a fight against the spiritual gods of the world. Believe it or not, there are beings, spiritual powers, forces that are behind our powerful world. They're the ones who lie to us. There are gods of the nations, gods like Zeus, gods like Thor. These were true spiritual beings who had control over these tribes and these places. They still live. They still lie. They still seek worshipers. They still seek to make us sin because they're not out to make us scared. They're out to make us sin. Look, I, I, I have a little dirty secret. I like to watch paranormal kind of videos on Discovery Plus, and, and I like to figure out like which ones are real and which ones are fake and which ones are set up. And the editing is powerful, and so sometimes it looks real and it's not. But the bottom line is some of these things are real. Some of these things are true demonic beings. Some of these things are truly angelic powers that are engaging with our world and we're catching it and we're like oh it's what is it? it's ghosts it's this right but here's the thing we don't fight humans we deal with these beings we deal with their lies and they're not there to make you scared they are there to make you sin because if they can make you sin they can separate you and distance you from god that's their aim and so in our spiritual battle, this isn't about fear. This isn't about demonic possession or any of that kind of stuff. This is about sin. And what I want you to know is a spiritual battle means that you need to know the sniper. You need to see the sin. You need to understand. And so he tells us then, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Get ready with your armor. Get ready for battle that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, the big one. Right? We need to have those foundations laid. We need to have ourselves set up. We need to be ready for the big one, the evil day, when that temptation comes, when sin's ready to take you down. And having done all, stand firm. Stand firm. Well, how do we do that? Well, every good battle has both a defense and an offense. 
And when you know your sin, it will enable you to be ready to play some defense. Notice, first of all, he tells us, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These are two things that are defensive, one that is offensive, but I'll help you understand how this works. First and foremost, the defense that is going on here with the belt of truth, it stops the lies. The enemy lies to you, wants you to believe things that conform you to this world. But when you know the truth from the Word of God, when you know the truth from the story of God, when you know the truth of looking at this world that He has created and you understand what He has given us, it defends against the lies. You don't look inward to find out who you are. You look to the image of God to find out who you are. You look to God. That's the truth. Now you can fight the lie. And you belt that truth on, you know that truth, you make it ready, and you engage. He says, look, put on the breastplate of righteousness. When you feel like you are guilty, when you feel like you've been destroyed, you got to do things to get God's good favor back, you remember, no, I have Christ's righteousness. The enemy wants to accuse you. He wants to make you feel guilty. He wants to shove you back in shame. He wants you to be ineffective for Jesus because you sin. But when you sin, when we see ourselves guilty, we know if you're a Christian, you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you, given to you at the cross, his life for mine. The truth against the lie, the righteousness of Christ against their accusations. God sees you. He sees you righteous in Jesus, so live in Jesus. Get on that armor of righteousness. Be ready with the gospel. Preach it to yourself. Remind yourself when you are being accused of your sin, stand firm. Don't move. Hey, other things look good, but remember, God has given you the gift. You don't earn it. You don't wrestle it down. Then you receive it and you live from salvation, not for salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he bore your sins, your guilt, your shame, your hell on the cross. He rose from the dead to make you new, and he ascended into heaven to give you the Spirit, and now we live by that Spirit. And so this defense is against the things the enemy sends at you. Let's look at some more. In all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now this is the doubts. And this is the questions when God gives you a promise that he's going to save you. God gives you a promise that he's going to aid you and help you. Man, and we're getting fired at and suffering. We're getting fired at by the doubts of other people and the podcasts and all of the narratives of the world. And we begin to go like, oh, it's the end times and God's going to, yeah, we need to stop this. No, trust Christ. Lean in. Hold up that shield of faith, knowing that Jesus Christ has given you the promises and trust God. Trust that the answers are there. I'm not saying that, oh, I just have faith, don't ask questions. That's not what this is saying. It's saying when God gives you a promise, you can stand on it, he'll bring it about. If you have doubts and questions, seek the truth, it's there. Seek the answers, you'll find them. And that will help with the doubt, but the truth and, the, and this ability to stand firm is because God gave you the promise, he's called you to something you can keep enduring with faith. He goes on, let's add some more to this. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. That means when you begin to doubt and wonder, is Jesus ever coming back? Is the government going to destroy us? You know, we didn't get what we wanted out of whatever it is, voting-wise, we were looking for. Hey, it really hurts that at work I've lost my job and I feel demoralized, distinguished, my body's breaking down. Remember, he has a resurrection for you. 
There is a coming resurrection. He has redeemed us from this evil age. We are like those who are in the Holocaust camps who suddenly have been liberated. We've been set free. We don't live there anymore. Our salvation has come, and we're getting out, and we're going to the promised land of eternity. That is to remember your salvation, to keep it in your mind, and it'll send you towards eternity, not just in the now. And so he goes on. Not only should you have a good defense, you need to have a good offense. You don't just simply defend, defend, defend. Now we take it to him. Erwin McManus, who is a pastor in L.A., has a story. I loved how he conveyed it at one of the conferences I was at. He talked about the fact that in his fight against sin and lust, when he was a young Christian, he took an offensive manner, not a defensive. So he would stand in line at the grocery store and there were the magazines, all scantily clad women, kind of trying to tantalize him to look at them, pick up the magazine, that kind of stuff. And while he's standing there, he gets the sense that the enemy is trying to tempt him or his flesh is trying to tempt him. And what he says, you know what? I decided I'm just going to poke the devil in the nose. And he turns around to the person behind him and starts saying, so do you go to church anywhere? Hey, I want to invite you to my church. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? And he starts evangelizing the people in his line. Why? Because he felt like it's better to take it to where the enemy hates it because he wants these people freed versus going into sin. He pressed into God. That's offensive. That is moving forward in your faith. I love that because that is the same thing about those shoes, right? Their ground in the gospel gives you more ground. Keep pushing forward. Be offensive. Move. Same thing with the sword. Bring out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, because it, when declared, like a quote, like you're quoting a movie or something, helps you fight against lies, fight against these things. Memorize Scripture. Get it into your life. Speak it to yourself. Remind yourself this is what God has given us to battle the spiritual enemies who is lying and whispering and promoting it in their media, all that stuff. Now, the second offensive weapon then is praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, trusting God will bring you what you need, trusting God, not money, God, not some other thing, is going to give you the things that you need for the sake of His work. And to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I believe this is the picture of what Paul is saying in the book of Galatians when he tells us to walk by the Spirit. He says, I say walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You really want to grow spiritually in offense. Think of the Spirit, think of the fact that it's like you set up in your car two phones. And in your life, you have two phones with your GPS open, with your maps open, your ways, whatever it is. And on the flesh side, your flesh has locked in a direction towards death and hell and evil, and that's the direction of sin. And guess what? You're, you've got, as a Christian, the spirit now that's set up, and he has set up the direction for life and goodness and truth and love. Now, as you're driving along, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear this turn right here. Now, you got to look. Is it your flesh telling you turn right here? Because it's going to take you towards death. But at the same time, the spirit's saying turn left here. Now, if you want to walk by the Spirit, you got to surrender and open up your life to God and say, God, I want you to direct me where you want me to go. I want to live for life. Your flesh is already set, and it's going to ping, ping. In fact, you're going to turn left and follow the Spirit, and your flesh is going to go recalculating, recalculating, turn right here. 
You turn here. And the Spirit of God is going to go, stay with me. But you're going to hear your flesh trying to get louder. Recalculating, recalculating, this battle is the rest of your life. But if we know what the sin is and the direction this flesh GPS is sending us, we won't give in to the desires of the flesh. We will walk by the Spirit. We will consult the Spirit, know His calling, hear where He's taken us, and obey. So if God's prompting you to the good, do the good. If you have a decision, ask the Spirit of God, God, what do you want me to do? My flesh says this, where do you want me to turn? This isn't about like how, when you should eat and stuff like that. This has nothing to do with those things. This has to do with moral decision-making. This has to do with temptation. This has to do with sin. But if you don't see your sin, you're not going to realize who's directing where. But to walk by the Spirit is to ensure that you are going to continue to step in the direction that God's calling you to. And so, hey, sometimes we're going to turn right. Sometimes we're going to follow that flesh. We're going to head towards death. And so let me give you that final piece. Just confess your sin. Just confess it. God is faithful and just to forgive it, and you're able to move forward. But guys, all of this enables us to fight the battle. And so here we are. It is time for you to face the big one. It's time for you to get yourself ready, because if you're going to know your sin rightly, then you've got to take an assessment of your heart. It's time to assess your heart, and it begins with a prayer. This is your prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me my heart. If you're not a Christian, you've been sticking with us in this time, I'm going to ask you, this is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray, because God will expose your heart, and when He does that, it is your first experience, and it's not pleasant, but He's ready to show you and love you through it to bring you into His relationship. But this is the start. We've got to go back to God and say, God, show me my heart. Show me my sins. He's been doing this for me. He's been revealing in me all kinds of things. And I've been yelling and angry and all this stuff. And he's just been showing me, Greg, you're a demanding person. You are, in, uh, you are trying to control things. And he's like, who's in control? Am I in control or are you in control? You're going to follow somebody. And I was just so convicted. That, wow, man, God, you're, you're showing me that it's not my anger. It's not, my, it's, not my, it's not these things. I'm controlling. And I hide it in passivity. I just quit. I said, well, whatever you want to do, I'm good. But it's like, at least I got control letting you have control. I made the decision that way. And therefore, I don't have to fail. I don't, and there's so much in there that God's revealing in my soul. And it's, it's heart-wrenching. It's difficult to look at. And I want to turn away, but he keeps bringing me back. And this is the same journey I want you to be able to go on. And it starts with looking at overt sins. It really does. It just starts with seeing the basic sins like lust and, and greed and understanding your anger and you're yelling at people or, hey, you, you stole a cup of soda with the water cup, right? The stealing, this is, you know, maybe you've adjusted your taxes, you cheated or whatever. Okay, guys, get it. We can list those sins. We need to get those basic overt behavioral sins on the page. And we need to put the respectable sins down, right? I mean, look, our culture has respectable sins. I love this. Jerry Bridges has a book called Respectable Sins. And I think you should take a look at it. He talks about that some of these respectable sins are ungodliness. We think it's cool to be bad. You know, anxiety and frustration. Yeah, that can be a sin. That we wind up with discontentment. Yikes. Unthankfulness, pride, selfishness. We need to put these down and look at these things. 
And in fact, I would challenge you to go even further, to take a further assessment beyond just these basic surfacy behavioral sins. Jesus put it this way to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. The Pharisees didn't do the surface sins we're talking about. All their sins were below the surface. All their sins were connected to the depths of these other things. And what we need to understand is that you and I have got to be a people who examine and see that our sin is deeper. In his book, um, Inside Out, Larry Crabb challenges me and challenges my wife, and we've been reading it, to go deeper and to look at our, the challenge of demandingness that we bring. That in our pain, our suffering, and years of ministry and different things, and some of you in your age and your chronic illnesses, we don't end up asking God for help. We end up demanding that God would help us. We end up demanding that people would do things. In our victimhood, in our victimization, we end up being demanding that everybody do things the way we do. That is a core sin that leads to all kinds of sins. It is a core sin, my friends, if we are looking and we see that we're self-protecting because we've been hurt and we're not willing to love people anymore. We're just willing to kind of keep you at a distance. Maybe I ignore you. Maybe I just, you know, I don't say that thing. Maybe I, 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 do, I power up over you and I tell you to shut you down because I just want to keep you away from me. Maybe I even give you a soft rebuke, but not to lean in to love you. Not to lean in to care about you, but to actually just keep you at a distance. This is sin. This is unloving. It's apathy. It's, it's that hurting of distance. And these kinds of things are destructive. And what we need to be is the kind of people who see our pride. And we see despair boring being in our hearts. And despair is sin. It's believing that God won't change things and can't. It's the opposite of faith. It is this idea of just love of money. That that will protect me and help me. All of these things are the roots of all kinds of evils. We need to look at these roots and examine these roots and see how they captured us so that we can begin to effectively work against them in an offense and a defensive manner. Now, you're probably not going to have enough knowledge to gather all those sins together. The Spirit of God can lead you, but He often does it through the Scriptures. And so I want you to assess by the Scriptures. Here is going to be a list. We'll make sure this list is available. But these sections all have lists of different forms of sins. When I pulled them together and filtered out all the repeats, it has over 60 sins that you can go ahead and sit down with God and examine. Now, that sounds like fun, right? <laughs> yeah. But it gives you a starting spot. To take this list and really ask God, God, is this in me? Is this there? Have I got impurity in me? Have I got sexual immorality going on? Am I lazy? Am I a glutton? Am I just, am I just drinking it up to drink? Am I, am I controlled by something other than you? All of these things are there. I mean, just to give you an example what it looks like, in Romans it says, hey, here's your list. They were filled with all kinds of unrighteousness, evil covetousness. Man, am I coveting? Am I malicious? Am I just like trying to hurt people? I'm full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Right? They're, they're gossips and slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. So notice you're not going to finish off the list. You can invent more. Uh, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. There's a great list. Ugh. But this is the big one. It doesn't change your value when you find these things. What God is doing is he stopped being your cop. He's now your coach. He's trying to help you, grow you, develop you, and he's showing you, look, 
No, don't go right, go left. That's a place that leads to death. That's a place that leads to destruction. That will harm our relationship, harm your body, harm your friendships, harm your family. No, 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 I know it looks good. Don't go there, go this way. And God is not there to destroy us. He's there to grow us. And we need to face it so we know how to fight. We need to face it so we can grow. And this conviction will come. You know, another way that can help you is to not just look at lists like this, but look at your own strengths. I'll tell you what, it's fascinating. As my wife and I have been married now for 18 years, we, we look at each other and we kind of laugh. The things we love about each other are the very things we hate about each other. I mean, you found that probably to be true as well. Yo, I mean, she loved my creativity and I, man, am I winging it? I'll go along with the flow and it's so cool. And when that happens and I don't clean up after myself and when that happens and I'm not making any decisions, oh, it drives her crazy because the very things that I'm strong at, I can use towards sin. And I do. And the very things she's strong at in her organization and her, and her lists and her ability to move forward, she will create anxiety in me. And I'm just like, ah, stop it. Stop being so controlling. Stop caring so much about this stuff, right? And suddenly we sin against each other in so many ways. The bottom line is, look at your strengths and look at your, your look, and you'll find that often they map to your weaknesses. Are you creative? Are you, are you able to, are you present? And does that presence disable you from, from being able to back up and think about life? You know, there's all these kinds of pieces that you need to stop and look at to see your weaknesses and your sin. And then go to your communities. Ask your friends, ask your family members who love you and care about you, hey, what do you see in me that, that is really ugly that needs to change? And I'm not going to get mad at you. I just need you to tell me. And those faithful friends will tell you the truth. They'll wound you, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then I want you to do the second thing with your enemies. What are your enemies accusing you of? I'm not telling you to go to your enemies and say, hey, man, tell me what's wrong with me. No, because they sometimes don't see you correctly, but sometimes they do. And it's an enemy who actually will begin to see your problem and point it out to you fastest. And what I want you to do is not get all hurt and angry and like, eh. no, I want you to back up and ask the Lord, Lord, is there something in this that I need to change? You may be using this person to show me what is wrong in my heart. And God will confirm or God will, will reject what, what that person is bringing up. And it is powerful so you can see. Look, we need to see our sin to be ready to engage. We need to see it and face it, folks. We've got to do this. Assess your heart. Don't go to the surface. Go deep and see these roots and dig in. Because when this happens, look, there are two things that happen for me when I look at this. The first thing that I think is, God, Jesus, will you come quickly, please? Come quickly. I'm so sick of this sin. I'm so tired of sinning. And it makes me long for eternity, folks. I don't want to bring everybody along. And I want Jesus to come quickly. It changes my prayer life. It changes my perspective. The second thing it does is it says, God, I don't want to stay here. Help me grow. I don't want to be in this mess. I want to continue to move forward. Help me move by your spirit and walk by it. Give me your strength today. Because to develop spiritually, my friends, we need to know our sin rightly. Once we see the beast... Once we know the sniper, once we know what battle we're in, we're ready to engage. So assess yourself rightly. If you're not a Christian and you've been assessing yourself, maybe you're looking at this and maybe there's a conviction that's come over you. I want to let you know, again, this may be your first experience with God. And when God comes into your life, he begins to expose how just messed up we are. 
but he doesn't do it to harm you. He's doing it like a doctor does it to tell you of cancer. He wants to give you the remedy. He wants to tell you, listen, this, this disease, this stuff that you're feeling, all this junk that you're going through is because of your sin and I want to give you the solution. And what he does is he gives you the solution and it's not a bunch of work. It's not a homework list. He's not your teacher telling you, go home, do this to get the A. He is the God who loves you and gives you the gift of his son, Jesus, on the cross because Jesus lived perfectly. And he gives you all of his righteousness. He says, give me all your sin, all your mess that you feel horrible about, and I want to love you. And I know your heart's going to want to resist it. Sin wants to push it away, wants to own you. No, God says, I love you. I love you, and I love you so much, I gave my life for you. Jesus bore it on the cross, the sin, the punishment, the shame, and the guilt. And he rose from the dead to give you a new life. And he offers this as a gift to you right now. And you don't have to fear what God is exposing in your life right now. Instead, what you get is a chance to receive his forgiveness and his grace. And from there, I hope that you would say, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to receive this and I'm after you. And if that's you right now, say those words to him right where you are. Just tell him, God, I'm after you. I, I received this gift of Jesus. Just lead me. And accept it. Accept this forgiveness and follow him. And if that's you today, let us know. You, you can do that by texting this line here at the bottom of the page to this number. You can let your the, one of the online people know. You can uh, simply contact the church. We want to help you now grow in your relationship with God because he's present with you. He's ready to move you forward. We want to answer questions because they start here and we can answer those. We want to enable you to really know who you are so you can grow in Christ. Thank you guys for being with us. And I pray that you let us know if you made that decision and that you would indeed focus and face our sin so we can grow together. God bless you.